millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. and welcome back to yet again another episode of the beautiful game podcast as always i'm your host budge and i'm joined by my faithful two co-conspirators dot and dej gents how's it going i'm good budge well i'm not good actually i had a mayor today but <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to be here that's today it. you're here you're alive guest. all good yeah all good. how about you dej how are you i'm very very well i mean this is a guest that we've been trying to you know pin down for a while <laughs> and now we finally got them so i'm looking forward to you know Finding out about a story and, yeah. you know, getting stuck into some games and stuff. 100%, man. Um, TBG boys are on the road again. Yeah. It's like um, we're, never, we're never at home anymore. We're yeah, always yeah, out yeah. and about. We it's love just an crazy. Away yeah, love we an away love an away day. Love an away day, 100%. Um, and so, yet again, we're, we're on the road. Um, and like you said, Dej, this is this has been one that's been a long time coming. Mm. Um, we finally have, have, have managed to, to get it done. So we're really, really looking forward to it. <laughs> It's going to be a great one. We have a very, very special guest in the building. Uh, she's a regular guest on Premier League TV, CNN, Sky Sports, BBC Five Live, BBC World Service, uh, Talk Sport and Garden oh. Sport. Push, don't forget the virtual um, on Sunday supplement oh, that she delivered last season. You also <laughs> certainly have seen her on Sunday supplement. Um, she's previously worked as a sports reporter at uh, the London Evening Standard, where she covered the uh, 2018 World Cup and also reported on uh, Chelsea Football Club for three seasons. Um, her work in the field of... Butch, everyone football. says, how do you know this? <laughs> Butch is the researcher. Uh, her work in the field of uh, European football, so that is uh, the Spanish League, the French League, and English football, of course, has seen her nominated for three awards. Wow. Big up. And she's currently a senior reporter at the Premier League and a presenter on TalkSport. So without further ado, we welcome the very special guest, Vishali Badwaj. Welcome, welcome. What a resume, by the way, as well. I have, to say, I have to say, really good research there. That was great stuff. Thanks so much for having me on. Thank, thank you, you for coming on. Yeah, thank you for welcoming us into your home, man. This is, this is brilliant. This is great stuff. Um, so yeah, we're raring to go. 
Um, the best place for us to start, Vishali, um, for those who are listening and have no um, you know, idea about how you got into you know, your field of work um, at the moment, let's have a bit of a backstory. Um, you know, how did you get into, into your line of work? Particularly because you studied biology. Well, yes. Um, actually, I studied microbiology okay. at one of the best um, science universities mm-hmm. in, in England, uh, fully believing I would become a forensic scientist. So that actually was my aim from the age of about 15. Right, um, okay. until... Was that completely down to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That... I okay, am fine. an absolute <laughs> science geek. Wow. Ask anyone, right. any of my friends from when I was like a young girl yeah. love science I also love sport and I also love music so I've got different kind of passions uh, yeah, they're yeah. quite contrasting so people mm. wouldn't think oh you love football but yeah, you also yeah, love yeah. science yeah, yeah. That, that's me okay. um completely down to me loved it did my degree in microbiology and then left and realized actually I don't want to do this for a career I want to do something else yeah, and yeah, the yeah, only yeah. other thing that I thought I I loved and I could make a career out of was football and football journalism. Um, now, what I did was I had no idea how to get about yeah. carving a career in this mm-hmm. field. So I, I applied for an internship at BBC Sport. And this is when BBC Sport was still based in London. Mm-hmm. Applied for it. I got it after a couple of rounds of interviews, which was um, which was amazing. Mm-hmm. And I, I used that internship really to find out whether or not I'd actually like the job. Like, you mm-hmm. know, the practical side of working mm-hmm. evenings, working mm-hmm. weekends, not seeing your friends, but, yeah, you know, yeah. doing the job that you love. Mm-hmm. And I fell in love with it. And I knew, like, I'm that kind of instinctive kind of person. I know mm-hmm. when I love something, loved it. And, yeah, I just... I, put all my energy into making sure I, I carved a career out of it and yeah it just for me sport I went to the Guardian I did an internship mm-hmm. there went to the Times I know you guys were at the Times building the other day <laughs> yeah, yeah, went yeah. there for a week um, and then I got a few freelance jobs got my NCTJ in journalism because mm-hmm. by that point I absolutely knew I wanted to do mm-hmm. the career but I wanted to make sure I was really good at it as well. So mm-hmm. I went and got my um, master's diploma in that. And then, yeah, just kind of worked my way to the point where I'm at right now. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah so it's been a long journey. Yeah. Hard work. Hard work. A lot of rejections. You, you know, mm-hmm. people get rejected all the time mm-hmm. for freelance work, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it's paying off now. And, you know, yeah. I love it. I still love it. still love it to, as much as the, the first day when I started. So, so yeah. for Charlie, just a quick question. Did you feel that you had to work harder? Because you were a woman, you may have suffered you know, some sort of obstacles trying to make it through. Did you feel that your resume of work had to be better than the average? I felt I had to work harder in the initial stages because I had no background in sports journalism. Mm-hmm. Basically, a lot of my friends who were already working in the field at the same age as me, they had done a journalism degree. Mm-hmm. They had prepared themselves for about three, four years before they'd gotten their jobs. And I was like, here I was at fresh out of university. Exactly. And you're like, do I have the skills? So for me, it was kind of like, I feel like I need to work harder because mm. I need to catch up you know make up all the lost time basically Mm -hmm. then when I got in the field I felt like I had to work harder to get the respect of my peers because I was a woman Mm -hmm. Uh, not so much because you know I'm from an ethnic minority background I just didn't really um, look at myself in I don't really look at when I look at myself and think about myself I don't really think I'm an Indian person you know (laughs) my parents are Indian I just see myself I think I feel more that I'm a woman that what distinguishes Mm. me from everyone else Um, but yeah I think to get the respect of my peers I felt like I did have to work harder yeah when we were at the snack media event you were telling us your backstory and about the fact that you know some of the big bosses there wouldn't speak to you about football for around two years because they didn't respect you in your field of work how did that feel um i'm that 
kind of person where if I know I want to do something and I've I've been sent to a game to do a job, I'm just focused on making sure I do the best job. So mm-hmm. I don't really care too much about how people look at me. Mm-hmm. It's only afterward you think, oh, I didn't really like that. You know, <laughs> yeah, you yeah, yeah. Reflect yeah, on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, when I look back, I think, oh, it wasn't nice that some of my peers didn't speak to me for about a season or two. Um, but I'm that kind of person. I don't really care. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's, that's good. good. You know? I need some tough skin you, in this you're business. Gonna, you're yeah, definitely yeah. going to be tough skinned, I think. And I feel for people who aren't necessarily that thick skin and who are nicer because some of these people I've seen people kind of come into the field and they've left the field because they can't handle mm. um, some of the negativity they get from their peers as well as from fans and it's a shame it's a shame but it's a tough industry it's yeah. an unforgiving mm. in- industry as well I feel mm. oh, absolutely that's, that's, that's really insightful um, mm. and you know even though it was only just sort of a, a, a few minutes it's really good to just get that backstory I'm sure it's, it's, it's definitely going to help um, people that are, are listening in. Um, we actually have loads of people listening that are aspiring journalists and want yep. to pursue careers in, in journalism and, 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 and within the media. So hearing your story and, and how you sort of navigated uh, up until this point is definitely going to help them. So hopefully, hopefully. Really, really, yeah, fingers <laughs> crossed. <laughs> really, really appreciate that. Okay, um, let's move on. So before we uh, dissect the weekend's fixtures, um, as always, you know, we like to have... Um, a topic that we discuss, which is a bit more macro um, and, and, and uh, slightly more generic. And, and this week, what I wanted to pick all of your brains on and ask you is um, whether you feel that uh, man management and communication uh, within the game is growing uh, in, in, in importance and, and perhaps slightly more important than uh, the tactics uh, of a particular manager. And the reason why I ask this question is because, you know, we've we've... Um, seen and, and heard examples in the past and this isn't specifically um, only related to uh, managers it, it, it's players as well so you know if a player does an absolutely outstanding thing you know score an amazing solo effort or or, or, or uh, display a, a piece of skill you know people will say oh you know he's not getting any ratings because he's English if he had an accent on the end of the <laughs> E uh, 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 of his name if he was Spanish then everyone would be ranting and raving about him and whatnot and of course um, foreign managers in the Premier League have often been um, you know uh, been bra- you know <laughs> heralded you know and, 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 and often you know we, we, we associate sexy football to, to Spanish managers or yeah. or, or, or managers from South America for example Um, and so what we're seeing now um, is you know more more than ever we've got loads of managers who are uh, who are British um, and we're seeing you know the the, the growing importance of of, of managers being able to deal with uh, players on a a personal basis you know um, so it's not so much the um, you know uh, the disciplinarian approach anymore. You know, you sometimes you've got to put your arm around a player and and speak to them and have that one to one kind of relationship. And this and is the point I was making with Una Emery. Yeah, yeah of course, it all ties and, and in together. Yeah, and, mm. and, and being able to communicate and get your point across. You know, you could be the greatest tati- uh, t- uh, tactician in the world, but if you can't communicate that in in a very simplistic way to your players, so they buy into that tactic and that, that style and brand of football, then, you know, uh, it, it sort of gets lost uh, in, in translation. translation yeah. um, so I want to ask you guys, is, is it the, the case that um, uh, uh, communication is, is growing more important? Um, I'll start off, yeah. Um, I think it has always been really yeah. important. And I mm. think 
you've seen it with Unai Emery. He is clearly a very, very good manager, despite his struggles at Arsenal, particularly this season. Um, but you could see, even when he's speaking to the media and the press, that there were so many things he wanted to say, mm. but you could tell he just couldn't express himself mm. in English. But when he did the interview in Spanish, he said so much more. He, he was very precise in what he was saying, mm. just because he could, he speaks Spanish. You know, he is Spanish. Yeah. So um, for Charlie, why didn't he decide to take that route then and, and speak Spanish? Did he feel under some sort of pressure? Do you know what? I think there is a pressure on managers when they come to the Premier League. A lot. I think the media do it. I think media put a lot of pressure on um, managers and even players to be able to speak English straight away. And if you don't learn it straight away, it's kind of looked kind of negatively <laughs> upon, I think. Um, and I think for him, he wanted to come and show that he was trying and I, I really rate people who do that. Hmm. You know, I when I, you know, I speak Spanish and French and I've been, when I, was, when I was learning and I'd go to France and I'd go to Spain and I'd try and I'd make mistakes and it's embarrassing for yourself. Mm. But you, you hope that people appreciate it. And I think 100%. that works for, you know, I think he just hoped that people would appreciate. Um, I remember when I went to Antonio Conte's unveiling at Chelsea, mm. he had, he'd only taken a couple of lessons of, of English, but he tried to do that whole press conference in English. And I think one of the things was, and he did a really good job, mm. But you could tell he was struggling a little yeah, bit at times, yeah. but he wanted people to appreciate that he had tried mm-hmm. and that he was serious about the job. Mm-hmm. Um, and for Unai he had, he did have a translator all last season, but he rarely ever used the translator because I think he was mm-hmm. just so um, focused on trying to show everyone that, hey, I'm trying. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think communication is absolutely essential. Whether or not you are a tactician or you're a manager who just has more of a simplistic view of how to play football, four four two, for example... <laughs> you've got to be able to communicate with your mm. players, especially where now in the Premier League, the teams are full of English players and foreign players. And mm. you've got players coming in who've been signed who don't yet speak English. And you're a manager, you might not be from England. You need to be able to communicate with not just the English players, but also these foreign players as mm. well. And especially if you are a tactician, I think it becomes even more important that you can speak English or at least communicate with different players in their native tongues mm. because... Mm. You know what tactics are like. It can be complicated. Of course, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, complicated yeah. to work out sometimes what teams are doing on the pitch, let alone yeah. to tell players how to um, sort of carry out your instructions. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, it's a big thing. Yeah, I mean, it's no surprise that, you know, 11 of the 20 Premier League clubs have British managers. I think it's very, very important, you know, as the host country to be able to, you know, speak the native tongue. And we've mentioned Una Emre as a perfect point in case. And another article I read this week was from Claude Puel, the former Leicester manager. And he admitted that his communication, that he only knew a string of sentences with how to communicate with his players. And he mentioned a player in particular, Jamie Vardy, who's on this fantastic run of form saying Mm -hmm. that he couldn't quite work him out. He couldn't quite give him the treatment that he needed. And it's a perfect point in case that, you know, you need to be able to, you know, cajole your players Mm -hmm. and know what to say to them at the right time. Because when we saw Unai Emre, his sentences were repetitive. There was no, you know, Mm -hmm. depth to what he was saying. And if you're going to work day in, day out. You want to be hearing different things, how to spark that button. And Una Emre, that basically was his undoing, in my opinion. I think, um, I'm going to kind of disagree with this. I think man management can only take you so far. Um, we've seen it with numerous managers that come in, they put an arm around their shoulder of the players, they hit the ground running and after, you know, six or seven weeks, they hit a stumbling block because man management can only take you so far. Mm. That's when you need that tactical ethos implemented onto onto the team for you to start performing on a week-to-week basis. But 
with Una Emre, another case in point for him was that I don't feel that the English was the problem. I just feel the way he gave his message across was the problem because we've seen other so managers come to the Premier the League. Isn't we that part we of the saw language? Conte come to the Premier League mm. and he had no problem transferring his message to his players. We also saw um, Pochettino come at Southampton when he was mm. using a translator for how yeah, many but months. Conte's English was far more depth than I Una Emery. I don't necessarily I think, think it was. So. I, I think, think it was very was. much I think, adept. I think one of the issues with Emery was perhaps he changed his tactics, his setup, and the personnel mm. too much. That's I think with Conte, came. you basically mm. had a 3 4 3 yeah. or you had mm. a 3 5 2. Mm. So I think the players basically knew it was either going to be one or the other. So it's much system. more simplified. Yes. Yes. Emery was trying it to change too much. And he didn't have the English to convey it. Because obviously he was trying to find a solution to the problems, but mm. maybe he changed it too, too much mm-hmm. and it confused some players. Of course. Yeah, for Charlie, for me, I call it information overload. When you keep feeding a computer too much stuff to do, what happens? It crashes. And, that's and he basically didn't have what the happened. tools as well to do it because his English wasn't, you know, mm. as cultured as you might as wish if mm. you want to adapt that style of football. Absolutely. And he didn't even have an identity, to be honest, because at the end of the day, him leaving... I yeah, but no his was identity was to have no identity. So, and that was the problem because <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. he kept on changing his tactics according to the the, the, the team that he was playing, and never really, you know, he was kept formed an identity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. In the interest of time, let's move on now. Um, let's review the weekend's fixtures, and the only place for us to start um, is the um, Manchester uh, derby. Now, of course, it was the last. Manchester derby of the decade, the 149th uh, derby in the Premier League. Um, and before the game started, um, City were, of course, 11 points behind uh, uh, Liverpool, who, who sat at the uh, summit of the uh, of the Premier League. Um, and so really needed to get a win in order to at, at least try to keep up the, yeah, the, the yeah. pressure. But um, do you still think there's a title race? Um, do I think there's a title race? You not hope, with City. You ho- you not, with City. not with City. Yeah, okay. There is a title race, but not with City. Uh, we're going to go into that in a, in a bit more detail shortly. Um, but it was a very, very interesting game um, for, for all of those sort of points uh, that we've sort of mentioned before. Um, and But in, 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 in sort of um, sort of in favour of United, uh, Rashford in particular has been in fine form. Um, and, and, and has been in and amongst the goals of, of late. And, you know, it, it, it does sort of st- feel that feel like the, the, that, that front three of Martial, Rashford and, and, and James is, is quite promising. There's, there's definitely something there, still perhaps in the embryonic stages, but it, it does feel <laughs> as though there is uh, something forming and, and developing there. Um, there were loads of different talking points within, within the game, um, of course, which I'm sure you guys are going to review. Um, VAR, of course, uh, as as we would expect, always has has a part to play in in these games too. Um, but what do you guys feel about the game overall? Um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, you deserve a pat on the back. Mm-hmm. Um, going into these games, I was really really worried. I saw mm-hmm. Tottenham, and I saw Man City, and then I drew the conclusion that Ole was going to be out of a job. Mm-hmm. Um, he got his tactics spot on in both games. But mm. to dissect the Manchester derby, I watched it and my brother called me before the game and he was like, what do you think the score is going to be? Man United are going to cause troubles, but Man City are going to win comfortably 3-1. And then I saw the first 10 minutes and I was like, wow, Man United are up for this. Mm-hmm. 
and you know on this table I've been Oli's biggest critic saying mm. that he's inept and Deji said he needs time to mm. implement his philosophy he also said he crashed at the wheel yeah he crashed a long time and you've been a critic of Marcus Rashford I remember he said he's rubbish yeah I've been a critic of Marcus mm. Rashford but mm. I'm still yet to be fully convinced on him. He's mm. he's done this before where he has mm. a great purple patch, then he goes on a gold drought and then we see him back in the doldrums. But, you know, talking about Man United as a whole, I think Aaron Wan-Bissaka, he started off shaky, but he was absolutely superb. Went, yeah, Every single cross um, from the wing, he shut down. Every single one-on-one, he tackled Raheem Sterling. Apparently, Raheem Sterling is still in his pocket. But um, <laughs> uh, McTominay, I've always been a fan. A lot of people give him stick because they say that he just runs about. But I feel that he's a very, very good player. Mm. And Fred is another one that, you know, comes under a lot of criticism and scrutiny mm. by the Man United faithful. But I feel that he put in a terrific performance. And... I'm impressed with Man United, but I don't think they're over the inconsistency because everybody knows they can set up against a team that's going to attack them. Where they have a problem is when they need to break down the no block. So we're going to see what's going to happen in the future. But Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, pat on the back, well done. I mean, you know, before this week started, there were rumours in the press saying that he told the players, you know what, if you want me in work, you got to win this game against Tottenham. And I know a friend, one of my friends went to the Tottenham game and he said the setup was absolutely perfect. Like he's starting to see a bit of a structure behind what they're trying to do. It's not just about counter-attack. They're trying to build up from the back. And obviously, Oli out-coached Jose Mourinho, if we're being honest. So taking it mm. into the midweek or weekend against mm. uh, Manchester City, I knew that game was either going to play out in two scenarios. It was either going to be a Man City blowout or what we saw yesterday. And what we saw yesterday was a Manchester United go there bold and brave and say, it was reminiscent of like a Liverpool performance, like mm. the Red Arrows, the way they were breaking through into the box. Let's build our base with a strong defence. And when we can, we're going to go hard at Manchester City. <laughs> and that's what ended up causing City problems. But with Manchester City, I think they've had a lot of issues. When you look at their centre-back partnership, Laporte, you know, being injured, company, yeah, but Dej is mm-hmm. more than that. This of is course, a team issue. I've always said that. It's not just a... It's not wholly down to the centre-backs. The midfield of course, don't of press course, the way they used to course. press. And what I'm trying to say is Fernandinho as well. He was, you know, a gigantic influence in that midfield. Mm-hmm. He's been withdrawn to a centre-back role. So that takes out something from the midfield. Mm-hmm. Rodri, Rodri, he's, he's still, not been able to replicate. He's still that. trying to mm-hmm. adapt to the Premier League. And we saw in that second goal, the way he was turned by Martial. Fernandinho would have used these smarts and maybe given away a foul. Mm-hmm. Leroy Sane is missing. I mean, he's a big influence in this Manchester City team. And you've got Sergio Aguero as well. Mm. Gabriel Jesus, I'm still not convinced. He's <laughs> was a decent striker. There was a big chance, wasn't there, in that game? Yes, that he, yes. The so, header that he sent wide, didn't he? Mm. He usually so Man- scores those as well. So. Manchester City have a lot of issues that just go beyond losing your hunger. I know naturally when you win two Premier Leagues on the bounce... 198 points there's going to be a natural drop off but there's other extenuating circumstances that contributed to that defeat yesterday I just wonder how much the City players were under pressure at at the start of that game knowing that Liverpool had won Mm. um, knowing that United were coming there having beaten Tottenham and I think United were excellent in that game because you know off the back of those reports that you said earlier (laughs) on in the week that came out obviously in the media the players they performed for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer against Tottenham Although Tottenham were quite poor, I was quite surprised yeah, yeah, at how Tottenham played shocking. at Old Trafford. Yeah. 
this game, this United side were aggressive. <laughs> they were taking advantage of City losing the ball. And I think that's one thing you have to say as well. City were quite uncharacteristic in, in some... Like Bernardo Silva, I think he lost the he ball was, quite a few yeah, times. Was shocking. You wouldn't normally mm. see that with, with City sides, particularly at the Etihad, but they were making mistakes. And United were... They were taking advantage of those. Mm. Um, I think the way that he set the team up was was great. They were playing quite high line, weren't they? They were mm. counter-attacking. And, mm. and you mentioned it as well, actually, that... Um, the front, the front, the attacking players, mm-hmm. um, they call City's backline so many yeah. problems. Yeah. And I think Marsh, Martial being back in that side, he mm-hmm. looks like, you know, he's back, you know, back to his best. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rashford, wow. I mean, he just yeah. cannot stop scoring. What I think it's 11 and 13 ten, or something. Yeah, 10, 10 Premier League goals, four assists as well. Just yeah. when they needed him the most, yeah. he is now yeah. scoring consistently mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and defensively as well. You know, mm. they put in a resolute, good, yeah. yeah, resolute. They put in a really good showing. So mm. I think across the whole pitch, that team believed that they could go there and cause an upset, and they did. And you know, mm. well done to them for that. Mm. I think Oli saved himself until the end of the season, at least, to be honest, because mm. he's shown that these players actually playing for him. Mm. And what we need to remember, he's only had one transfer window. Yeah, and when you look at the acquisitions, Juan Bissaka, Maguire, you know, James, they all played well yesterday. Mm. So if he's or yeah yesterday mm-hmm. so if he's given the opportunity to have another transfer window or two he can actually mould this Man United side in his image and he said he wants to play fast attacking football similar to a City in Liverpool mm-hmm. yeah you did you said that he outclassed Jose Mourinho he also outclassed Pep, Pep. Guardiola um, outcoached yeah outcoached said, yeah. as well um, oh. I'm still not convinced on this Man United team. I mm. think, you know, they've still got a lot to prove to me and I still don't think Oli's the right man. But as things stands, well done to him and he's, he's got a tune out of his players, which is good. Just before we move on, um, on the topic of transfer windows. So obviously we've got the January transfer window coming up um, and this is more so for City. At this point in time, I think the general consensus is that they're, they're not in the, the, the title race. But do you feel that they should still look to strengthen and bolster their squad in January with their eyes on the Champions League? I do, um, but I don't think they will. Um, the Champions League, clearly, with them being, wait, the 14 points behind Liverpool mm-hmm. now, yeah. I think that's got to be top of the, the priority list for, mm-hmm. for City. And I think it's been, I think it's been really up there anyway in terms of priorities because let's be honest, Pep Guardiola was brought in to win the Champions mm-hmm. yeah, League at City. Yeah, so yeah. with that still to play for everything still to play for in that competition I think he's going to be looking to go for that now because mm. there's it's too much of a gap to overturn I don't think any any reigning champion has overturned such a big deficit mm. to come back and I, mm. I think actually this title race looks like it's going to be between Leicester and Liverpool mm. it's really Liverpool's to lose let's be honest it's yeah. Liverpool's yeah, to yeah, lose yeah. and that game between Liverpool and Leicester it's on Boxing Day is going to be amazing let's be honest <laughs> 100%. Right, so we're, we're going to move on now. Um, Everton hosted uh, Chelsea at Goodison Park. Um, this was an interesting one, given the fact that uh, uh, Chelsea have taken more points away from home than um, on home soil so far this season. And of course, it was uh, Duncan Ferguson's first game in charge after the uh, sacking of Marco Silva, of course. Um and I think this one was certainly, you know, we, we, we've used the, the term before, Jekyll and Hyde performances. But what did I um, say to you yesterday when we were recording? So what you said yesterday was that usually you expect a team, once a manager's been sacked, to win straight away. Unless, of course, you're Arsenal. And yeah, I mean, it was it was it was a, it was a surprise to me that, uh, you know, Everton came away with all three points because I just felt just like I, I, I mentioned, Chelsea have been so uh, strong on their travels so far. 
Um, and of course, given the, the, the turmoil that uh, Everton have been in of, of late, I just couldn't see past Chelsea. Um, uh, but I've got egg on my face, haven't I? <laughs> um, let us know what you guys think about the game. Don't yeah, you wanna, you wanna yeah I think the, the game was, Thanks. you know, it was an interesting one. Obviously, Everton had made a change of manager, bringing back in a legend, Duncan Ferguson. Mm. And I mean, the, the changes were instantly recognisable. I mean, in this game, Everton, I think they made the most tackles they've ever made in the past 10 years. 37 or 38 yeah. tackles. 37. So that instantly shows the direction that Duncan Ferguson wanted his team to play. Mm-hmm. Be a front foot, aggressive team. Mm-hmm. And over the years, when I think of Goodison, I normally think of a tough place to go and get a result. You know, a very nasty place and mm-hmm. hostile place. And what you know, Duncan Ferguson done, he got the crowd on side. And Goodison Park, if you can get the fans with you, you're halfway there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, the, the issue with Everton in recent years is they haven't replaced Romelu Lukaku. Since mm. 2017, he's been a big miss. Calvert-Lewin, although it was good yesterday, I'm still not sure if he's the long-term answer. Mm-hmm. But again, Chelsea, they were tippy-tappy. They played the nice stuff. But when it comes down to penetrating recently, they haven't been on point. And, I wasn't really surprised by the result because I expect there to be that bounce effect when the mm. legend comes back mm-hmm. and everything that Duncan Ferguson encompasses, he passed onto the team. Mm. You can see on the sideline, he was running around to Passion. the crowd, playing up Hugging to the crowd. Hugging the ball boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they must have loved that. Yeah. And when you think of Marco Silva, he's much more of a reserve guy. He didn't really give the crowd anything mm. to jump off about. And Duncan Ferguson, he gets it. And it's no surprise to see that they turn over, you know, Chelsea. Mm, I think with Everton, they were organised and mm. they were energetic yeah. and, and they were trying really hard. And I think they had a lot to prove to their own fans yeah. because of the poor performances of late. Mm-hmm. And obviously that's cost Marco Silva his job. So the last thing that these players, I think Calvert-Lewin, I think he came out afterwards and said, we needed to win back the respect of the fans. Mm-hmm. And you could tell that the well players, said. it was on mm-hmm. their minds, not mm-hmm. just to play for their new manager or the interim manager, but they had to play for the fans and, mm. and against a team like Chelsea, that's a perfect opposition to try and do. You know, you want to show everyone, look, we can beat Chelsea. The thing with Chelsea is they are very good going forwards. Although in this game, I don't think they had a shot on target until mm. the 35th minute. So they left it quite late. But the problem for them, I still think, is that they are too easy to break down. Yeah. Mm. And so teams can get through midfield and they can start pressurising the defence. And mm. if they start doing that, you can get mistakes out of that defence. Mm. Now, it was Zoom and Christensen in central defence I don't think that's going to be a long term centre back partner yeah. it's clearly going to be Rudiger potentially alongside Tomori yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe Zuma I don't know he look, uh, I think Lampard likes Zuma a lot but I think I think Tomori and Rudiger feel like yeah. more of a safer mm. um, centre back uh, pairing for me but I think it was just too many comical errors from <laughs> at the yeah, back and as well. you do wonder because oh, Jorginho gosh. wasn't used at all and it's funny because we talk about Jorginho and his importance to this Chelsea side because he wasn't um, you know, favoured by the fans under Maurizio Sarri, but mm-hmm. actually, when he has played, he brings a lot of calmness mm-hmm. to that midfield. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing I worry about with Chelsea is that they can be sometimes too easy to get past and, and break down. Yeah, yeah. Just to buttress your point on the defensive line, I mean, Kurt Zuma for me, he's a ticking time bomb. I'm not the biggest fan of his. Christensen is he top six level mm, I'm not too sure I think going forward it is going to be Rudiger and someone else maybe it's Tomori or maybe they're going to dip into the market in January well they can now can't they as well. yeah. Yeah. Um, you speak about Jorginho and I want to mention I feel that Mason Mount is becoming a problem I know he's a tremendous talent but I feel that Frank Lampard is trying to shoehorn him into the side 
that's why it goes to a four-two-three-one system. Ideally, I think he wants to play a four-three-three system, but Mason Mount is a ten, mm. and obviously, right now, Pulisic is in great form. He can't play on the left, mm. so to get him into the team, you've got to play him as that ten, and that means you drop a centre midfielder. So I think that's becoming a problem, and Lampard needs to look at that dynamic. Um, Everton, they're a funny team because on this podcast, we give them stick weekly because we see them as a nothing club. But the thing is about Everton is that when you look through the statistics, they're not bad. Their position in the table pretty much lies. I know a table never lies, but in terms of shots on target, um, X goals, X assists, they're they're pretty decent. They're in the top half for, for everything. So I just feel that maybe they needed a bit of man management, as Dej liked to say earlier, um, to to push them to the next level. And I knew that they were going to win that game pretty easily and comfortably. And so they did. Fair point. Um, now Spurs hosted uh, Burnley at uh, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Um, of course, after losing um, uh, midweek to, to United, they needed to, to bounce back. And bounce back they did um, in an in emphatic fashion, uh, winning 5-0. Mm. Um, it was pretty interesting because... Uh, Kane scored an absolute screamer, mm, and we're thinking this is, this, yeah. is, this is this is this is this is a shout for goal of the uh, of, of the month already. Mm. And then Son pops up and says, "Hi, um, I've got something to say about that." <laughs> and then um, Kane and comes an again absolute... and says, "Hi, I've got another thing to say about that." Because both of these goals are really good. Perhaps, <laughs> but I, I mean, I think yeah, yeah. Son's goal for me unquestionably course, was the course. goal of the. Of, and you don't of the see game. those goals anymore. I yeah. mean, football's become so much programmed where it's that pass into this space. But Son, you know, you could see that goal on, on the Sunday League Park mm-hmm. or Saturday mm-hmm. League Park. And I just think Tottenham, obviously they had the midweek setback against Man United going there and losing 2-1. They had to make a real statement, mm. admittedly <laughs> against a Burnley team that are in poor form. I know they lost their, you know, last game against mm-hmm. Man City mm-hmm. and before that losing at home against Crystal Palace. But I thought Burnley, they lacked all the minerals that we've associated with this team. Mm-hmm. You know, Sean Dyche has them well drilled. But surprisingly, they were, you know, slow to the tackle. Mm. They were not defending properly as you would expect them to. Mm-hmm. And Tottenham took full advantage of that of that game. And mm-hmm. as you mentioned, Hungman Son on the scoring board, Lucas Moura, Harry Kane, you know, Musa Sissoko. I mean, I don't think he scored before his last game for like a year or two <laughs> and now yeah, the goals two, two and two. Yeah. so I just think going forward again Mourinho he's the type of manager that wants time on the training field but this is a period where games come thick and fast so he hasn't had the opportunity to you know mm-hmm. put his tactics and get where he wants to out of this team so mm-hmm. right now it's about winning games then when you can get you know a week or two training period mm-hmm. try and coach the team how you want so he's gone back to basics mm-hmm. and yeah. obviously they've got a chance for top four if they can string a run together I think that song goal is indicative to to the form that Burnley are in. I'm really, really worried about Burnley. I feel that they're a team that can potentially go down. Um, like, that song goal is a goal that you just don't see Burnley mm, concede. Tackle, and when I saw that, button. I was like, mm. that's just crazy. Um, Jose Mourinho, you know what you're going to get from him in the first two years. He's going to come. He's going to get the team well drilled. Obviously, he got his first clean sheet. And Big, Tottenham, very, very they're a good key. team. They've got good players. And I expect them to now finish in the top four because Chelsea, they're on a downward trajectory mm, this season. I feel, that, yeah. Yeah, I feel that they're going to have more poor results and Tottenham may go on a run. Um, just to talk about Burnley, I mean, conceding nine goals in the space of four days, that's, 
that's embarrassing. You don't expect that from Burnley. I think Sean Dyche needs to go back to basics and try and get his team well drilled again. Because what I've noticed from Burnley this season is that they're trying to play out from the back. Yeah. And you know that <laughs> yeah. that defence, it has yeah. limitations if we're totally yeah. honest. And I just feel that he needs to go back to what he knows and knock it long, mm. in my opinion. But these mm. mid-table teams as well, they're always going to go on a streak of like four or five yeah, but games Burnley, are, Burnley, I know last season they had a run where they were poor, but they're usually a consistent team. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it's interesting you talk about Tottenham. Um, when Mourinho took the job, he knew he had a really good strike force. He knew he had, like, he's, he's called Harry Kane the best in the world. He knew he had Harry Kane mm. that side. He knew he could get so much more out of Deli Alley. And mm-hmm. Hugh Winston has been great anyway. But I think that Mourinho knew that the defence was the first issue. And that is the, to, the area on the pitch he knows he can improve. And mm. I think he will have been happy with this result because it was a clean sheet because they've conceded some poor goals in yeah. recent games under him. two in every game yeah. under and before you yesterday. Know, yeah. He said that they've, they've been improving um, as the games have gone on. So I think against Bournemouth, he said, yeah, we I think we conceded two, but he goes, I still think we're better defensively. So you mm. can see he's improving that now. Mm. But I think one thing that he's going to be relishing doing is trying to improve the players. So Harry Kane, he knows, is already up there, one of the best uh, strikers mm. in, in the world right now. Deli Ali, we've seen the mm. upturn in performances yeah, yeah, since yeah. Mourinho came in he knows he has got a world class player in his hands Mm. and I bet you Mourinho cannot wait to make him that world class player Mm. Hyunmin Son has been getting a lot of praise from Mourinho Mm. I think he said his son calls him Sonado and Son is now repaying him and scoring like worldies like that's going to be a contender that goal for of the season and I'm sure people who watch that in real life are never going to forget that that Mm. was a stunning goal so Vishali how highly do you rate Son because we normally have a tearing system on this show of tear one tear two and I put him (laughs) on tier two so tier one is obviously you've got your Salas Marley's Mm. Sterling's then just in that upper on that tier two you have your you know Mares Mares Sane Hyungmin Son so where would you rate him I think Son he can become one of the best players in the world I just think he needs well he's been consistent for a long time but I think he needs perhaps more goals and I think if he's then part of a team that begins winning things because I always Mm. think and I think this is a bit unfair the players who win the top awards often are the players who are part of teams who win stuff so you you really see a player win the Ballon d'Or whose team didn't win the Champions Mm. League you know because at the end of the day it is a team sport and I think if this team breaks into the top four say if they win the FA Cup Mm -hmm. or, or League cup and then they perhaps start challenging for the premier league and sonny's heavily part of that i think people would then begin seeing him in that light Mm. i still i think he's got it in him Mm. to become one of the best out there i think the only question mark with son is i'm not sure it's pretty strange for me to say but maybe the consistency Mm. does Mm. he do it week in week out because i know that he tends to go on some goal droughts but honestly he's an amazing player he's top class if you're part of a team where harry kane scores as many goals as he scores it's kind of like if your son do you so, pass to him yeah. do, rather than go for goal because you don't necessarily need to go for goal because Kane will finish off the chances if you just cross it in which mm. is you know so it's interesting fair point alright um, so now moving on to um, the next fixture which was between Bournemouth and Liverpool of course uh, um, Bournemouth hosted Liverpool at the Vitality um, I guess this was uh, an interesting um, game when I particularly when I look at the goal scorers for Liverpool um, because I just am reminded about um, what Klopp um, said uh, off the back of uh, Fabinho's injury. And he said, of course, that you know Liverpool will have to find internal solutions for that and that certain players need to step up. 
Now, of course, he didn't mention anyone's <laughs> names, but everyone would have assumed he was speaking about one person in particular, I think. Um, but that obviously was a message also for a few other players who have, um, you know, come into the side more recently um, and, and, and are being called to have a bigger contribution to the team, especially in this month where Liverpool have such a, a congested fixture list mm. and Klopp is, gonna, is, is, is um, forced to rotate. He needs everyone to be singing from the same hymn sheet and stepping up and, and, and contributing. Mm. And we saw that. Um, it, you know, in in its fullest uh, yesterday with uh, goals from uh, Chamberlain and and, and Naby Keita, uh, Naby Keita also getting a, an assist as well, which which was great. Um, what are your thoughts on the game? Boy, um, that Naby Keita assist is what Liverpool bought him for. He was meant to be the guy that can get the ball in the half space, drive out defenses, and thread through balls. As you know, I've got massive, massive stocks in him. I mean, he's big. You were selling fan. them the other day, though. <laughs> <laughs> you oh. <buying> <laughs> I was upset. I was upset because when I've watched him, he's always underwhelmed. But for me, you know how much I love him. Then she's mm-hmm. one of. He's probably my favourite player at Liverpool. Um, I mean, it's another win from Liverpool. For me, it's the best performance of the season. Virgil Van Dijk was absolutely immense. He was unreal at the back. He was marshalling the whole defence. Lovren got injured early. Gomez went into centre back, and we saw the Liverpool defence of last season impossible to beat. Um, I think Henderson has been has been really really good in recent weeks. He gave a great assist to Oxley mm. Chamberlain. Quality, questionable goalkeeping. I wasn't too sure about Ram- Ramsdale's positioning, but yeah, Liverpool took the lead. Obviously, Ake got injured, and I think that was a big, mm. you know, that mm. really really upset and Bournemouth's rhythm. Um, just to talk about Bournemouth, um, I'm worried. This yeah. is another team that I'm Those worried. Injuries now. Mm, has Eddie Howe hit a plateau? That's that's the question we need to start asking. I mean, Dom Solanke was bought for 21 million, 24 games, zero goals. I mean, he's looking like a poor piece of business. Um, it's five defeats in a row for Bournemouth, and it seems like they're on a downward trajectory. And I'm really, really concerned about their form. When you look at Liverpool, I mean, as you mentioned, Budge, like it's it's a squad game. They're going to have to manage their games. And when you look over the last two performances, we've had players that have been on the periphery of things coming on to make a difference. You know, Divock Origi, Shakiri, Naby Keita yesterday. And I think Liverpool, you know, they need to get back to basics as well in terms of keeping clean sheets. They didn't allow Bournemouth to have a shot on target, <laughs> yeah. which was very good from Van their Dijk perspective. Said no, yeah, he yeah. said no. Yes, Wilson was on smash <laughs> yesterday. So I think Liverpool. This is about a box ticking process. We all know the trophy is theirs to lose, and it's about navigating these next few months in the mm. right way. And I think. Jurgen Klopp is onto something with this Liverpool side. I mean, I've got a friend that does commercial work at Liverpool and he says, Dej, you guys are winning that trophy. When I speak to, you know, all of the staff, Carol in the kitchen, you know, Lalana, he's not in the squad. Everyone's so jovial and you can feel that energy and it's transmitting into the players. That's why players can come in from the cold and make a difference. Mm. But when we're talking about Bournemouth, as you mentioned, they're crippled with injuries. Mm-hmm. Eddie Howe, has he reached the summit? <laughs> You know, I'm not a huge fan of saying managers should leave because, you know, Pochettino, I still felt he could have reinvented himself. But when you look at Bournemouth as a club, the stadium, mm. like, they need a new stadium. Yeah, but to then bring I just that think that like Bournemouth need a new voice now. And that's no slight on Eddie Howe. I don't think it's his fault. I just think maybe new instructions. Mm. He needs to go on to bigger and better as well. I know, mm. And he was even being linked midweek with, you know, the Everton job. And he was like, oh, I'm so embarrassed to be linked with this job. My team's in terrible run of form. So I'm going to stay here and try and, you know, transform my fortune. So... 
I don't know what you Very think of Charlie. Yeah, yeah well, it was interesting because he also said that this is not the toughest thing that he's ever had to navigate through because he goes, when I first came to Bournemouth, we, I had to bring them up the league. Mm. You know what I mean? And so he, you can see he admitted he's going through a really bad patch. He's obviously lost so many players to injury yesterday. I think that was quite mm-hmm. key when Nathan Ake went mm-hmm. off. Um, that didn't help their cause yesterday. But you can see that he's a fighter anyhow. Like mm-hmm. he, He's not someone who's going to let any kind of speculation put him off mm-hmm. his job at Bournemouth. And you can see he's fully focused on the job. I think he'll get them out of it. I think they'll go back. And, yeah. They'll get back to winning ways. I don't think they're going to go down. I don't mm-hmm. think... Um, they're going to go down this season at all. Um, but anyhow, he's going to focus on getting that team back, but they need to navigate through the Christmas period mm. without some of their key players, which is going to be difficult. As for Liverpool, you mentioned it. <laughs> One thing I will say, yeah. um, it's interesting you say that everyone's really jovial at the club because yeah. last season I felt that there was a big emphasis on let's be defensively solid and let's try and win games. And then they started to draw a few games and ultimately that's what I think cost them the title Mm. last season. But I think that the players felt the pressure Mm. of having to win on a consistent basis across a 38-game season. This season, they know what it takes to win the title. They know they came so close last season and all they have to do is play without any pressure. I think they've learned a lot from last season. Because mm. they won the Champions League, so they know that they're good enough to go out there and mm. beat the and best. And the year before, teams. they lost in the final. Abs- and, so I think, came and I back. think they learned from that. I think mm. this team, the great thing about Jurgen Klopp is he's allowing the team to to learn and develop. <laughs> and what I love about this team, and we saw it against Everton, is the fact that the players who aren't part of that first team, they <laughs> still think go. they've got something to offer, and they go out mm. on that pitch and they give their one hundred percent. There mm. isn't any kind of sort of, oh, I'm not in the team, I'm not playing, you know, like chucking your blade, your <laughs> jacket on the floor, and <laughs> yeah. like that everyone is giving a 100% because I think they all feel like they're part of something special and they could potentially become the first Liverpool side to win the Premier League title. Just a final point. Mm. I think winning trophies is like a drug. Once you win one, you get addicted to it. And this Liverpool team are now addicted to winning trophies. Final point, Mo Salah, congratulations on your 100th game in the Premier League. 63 goals in 100. Only three players have had more goals after such games. And that's Omri, Van Nistelrooy and Scherer. And this guy's a winger. And Bruce Grobbler came out and said that Liverpool are probably going to be the first team ever to win a treble by Christmas. What he meant was the <laughs> Premier League, the Super Cup and the Club World Championship. So, yeah, we move. <laughs> fair, fair point. Now, m- moving on, it was a, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, a board draw between Watford and, and, and Palace down at Vicarage Road. We haven't even covered the Leicester game. Ah yes, actually, we're gonna we're, we'll, we'll move on to that. You know one what? Next. Can Watford we're, just get rele- just can they just get relegated now? <laughs> <laughs> I've had enough of them. So what I wanted to ask initially, of course, I'm going to ask your your view on 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 the game and whatnot. But a, a point just isn't going to cut it for, for for Watford, is it? In terms of building their confidence and and first and of moving all, on Nigel Pearson, that was a left field move. <laughs> I was shocked to see him back in the Premier League. Mm. You know, he's been off the radar for a few years. I think he went to Belgium. I think the King Power Group gave him a job there. I thought there was more, much more suitable candidates for that job. I think Chris Hutton could have done a job. They were talking about Big Sam. But again, when I look at that Watford squad, I can see some quality, but there seems to be an issue. I think they've maybe hit a plateau in the Premier League. Yeah, but Ho- Dej, you say that there's quality. For me, Watford have talented players, not good players. They've got players that can turn up one in ten, and in the Premier League, that's not good enough. Yeah, I like Decore. He, I think Delefeu, he's another example. As mm, you said, he's very, very inconsistent. Mm, Troy Dini, 
Pereira as well. He mm. can have some quality games. Ismail Assar is a good Ishmael player. Ismail Assar. I mean, he hasn't Tridini. really integrated mm. properly into the mm. Premier League. He's not been starting games. When I've seen him, he's looked decent, but he's been in and out of the side. Mm. Will Hughes is another one. You know, Nathan mm. Chalabar. Mm-hmm. Or Nathaniel Chalabar, yeah. he's meant to be a decent player. I remember Troy Deeney coming out and saying that this boy is a fifty million pound player, but he's not getting minutes. So mm. I'm not sure what their problem is, but it looks like they'll be taking a trip down to the championship. <laughs> unfortunately, Vishali, which one of those players, or yeah, yeah, at, at, at Watford, if they were to go down, which which players do you think would get a move to another Premier League team? Ah, oh, it's hard. It's hard for me to speak about that because I think. You know, obviously right now they're all focused on Watford mm. and I'd hate to suggest that any of those players are thinking about leaving the club because I'm sure they're yeah, giving it yeah. 100% of course. for the club. But there are talented players in that team and um, let's see whether or not they can save themselves. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be tough because I think you've got half the season gone now mm. or nearly half and um, they haven't won nearly enough games. I think, what is it? One... Yeah, one win. Game, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, it. Right. Just the one win. So they need to focus on just getting back to winning ways. And mm. if they can string together a few wins, you never know because the table is so tight. Um, but yeah, let, let's see what happens. Cool. Yeah, I don't think we've mentioned Crystal Palace. I mean, that's yeah. another point that, you know, ticks them along. I mean, they've been in a decent run of form recently. You know, and I think they'll stay up. I think Roy Hodgson, again, when of we course. talk about teams having a structure and a strategy, he's one is clearful to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then he's also reinvented himself. As I said a few weeks ago, I feel that he's really adapted to the time. Mm-hmm. But the question I want to ask you is, who in that Watford team in the defence gets a Premier League move if they go down? And for me, that's where the problem is. Interesting. All right, so now we've covered all of the fixtures from Saturday. We're going to move on to Sunday fixtures now. And of course, the, the place that we have to start is, 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 Villa Le- Park, is yeah. of course, uh, Villa Park. So Aston Villa hosted uh, Leicester, who, you know, again, are in fantastic form. Uh, being spearheaded by Jamie Vardy, who just can't stop scoring at the moment. The evergreen Jamie Vardy. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I, I know, Dej, you, you, you know, you must feel vindicated because I think in the last episode you mentioned that uh, Ian Acho had to start. Yeah. Um, and, and, and start he did um, and also got on the score sheet. Good um, assist as well. And yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, yeah, what do you, do you want to take things away, Dej? What, what are your thoughts on that game? Yeah, I thought, I mean, Leicester before, I mean, a few weeks ago, I said I wasn't sure, you know, if they'll get top four. And now I've got egg on my face because I think they've all but, you know, booked their place in that top four. (laughs) (laughs) And when I watch this Leicester side, they play like a top team. When you watch them, you think, Mm. yeah, I'm watching primetime football. Mm. This is the elite of the Premier Mm. League. I mean, the way they control that game, defensively, they organise well. Attackingly, they have, you know, great passing patterns. And what I like with this team now is they can, you know, put you to the sword anyway. Mm. They've got the counter-attack. They can play you off the park. And mm-hmm. it was interesting. I alluded to the Claw Pearl interview I was reading. And he said he thinks he deserves a bit of credit for how this Leicester team have evolved. Because when mm-hmm. he took over, this team was known as, you know, counter-attack merchants, mm-hmm. ball over the top. And when he came in, he added more football to the team. Even though it was slow, it was sort of preparing them for this sort of football for that the they're playing. transition, us. isn't it? Yeah. 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 And to, um, Brendan Rodgers. So I think Leicester, are they in a title race? I'm still not sure, but... What they're doing very, very well is beating all of the other teams outside of the top six and they're doing it in very emphatic fashion. Mm. So I just think, yeah, they're going to... Did you try to, um, you know, throw egg on my face earlier? So what's your take on Brendan Rodgers now? 
Um, as, <laughs> as we said, Claude Poirot, I mean, sometimes there's always people forget people in the story. Mm. I remember the Claudio Ranieri story. Mm-hmm. People forgot about Nigel Person. Mm-hmm. Let's remember the season before that, they could have went down and mm-hmm. he spearheaded a renaissance. Yeah, but what's Under- your take on Brendan? Yeah, what I'm trying to say, I'm getting on to that. <laughs> so what I'm trying to say is that Brendan Rodgers, let's be honest, he's benefited from a bit of Claude Puel's work. When you think about all these acquisitions, mm. Pereira, mm. Tillismans, all these players were bought under Claude Puel. But what Brendan Rodgers has done, he's taken them up a level. He's shown great man management. He's put his arm around the players. Mm. Jamie Vardy and said, you know what? I believe in you. You're a top player. So Brendan Rodgers, I give him his credit. But So what are you trying to say? Brendan Rodgers is <laughs> yeah. a very, very good manager. You know, he obviously has the experience of, of his time in Scotland. Yeah. But he was part of a Premier League title race yeah. at Liverpool. Yeah. And they lost it to City. <laughs> but that season, it was theirs for the taking. So he knows what it takes to win a title. Now, I think what? this Leicester side are really uh, doing well this season because I think they're playing with no pressure I, I think mm. at the start of the season no one no one expected them to be mm-hmm. part of the title race and even though I think they are part of the title race mm. purely because they are second in the table um, and, and let's be honest they're playing Liverpool in a couple of weeks so if they play Ooh. Liverpool beat them then you have to say they're yes. part of the title but mm. right now I think the players are just enjoying themselves they've got a new manager they're playing a great brand of football the fans love it mm. and I think they're just enjoying themselves on the pitch right now Jamie Vardy you know <laughs> he, he's loving life as well um, and I think that really makes a difference we talk about Liverpool where every, the mood's great you know from the people who work in a can. And I think at Leicester's the same thing. Everyone's enjoying themselves. And um, I think they're just kind of keen to see where it could take them, whether or not Liverpool do drop enough points. Mm. Um, interestingly, if, say, Liverpool start dropping points and Leicester it becomes quite tight or they overtake them, how will the pressure on mm. these... These, these players how will that affect their performance you, you wonder because mm. you know those those kind of things do, do have an impact sometimes so yeah I've always said that this Leicester team they're not a flash in the pan earlier in the season I nailed my colleagues to the mask and I said that they're going to finish third comfortably but now I'm getting the belief that they're going to finish second and as I said last week Manchester City are in a race for second place not first place mm. well done to Brendan Rodgers and this Leicester team they're doing an amazing but, job but you know what even if Leicester finish third or fourth I don't think they're going to care. They're mm. finishing the top four. They're going to mm. they're going to have Champions League football mm-hmm. next season. Mm. So I mean, it will be a bit of a disappointment, I'm sure, for the players because I'm uh, sure Brendan is telling them, you know, you've got to go for everything. You and can. I think Ricardo Pereira came out in the week and he was just playing it down. We're just mm. seeing how it goes. Mm. We're not really in a title race. We just want to keep winning the next game. And they've yeah. got the mentality there. So. Brendan, well done, and <laughs> this is an elite manager, and congratulations on your new contract. And what a player for that um, And when we look at it, the fans believe it as well. They're starting to sing, we're all going on a European tour. <laughs> a European <laughs> tour. <laughs> yeah, so they're starting to sing those songs. And always a good sign when a team is doing well is when players from the cold come in and have an input. We're seeing mm-hmm. that with Daniel Pratt. We're seeing it with Kelechi. And like Pratt, Ditch, yeah, and everyone, there's that camaraderie mm-hmm. that they believe they're onto something special. Whether that leads into the Premier League title, I'm not sure. But further down the line, they look like there's serious foundations being built. And I mm-hmm. think this, um, this run just dispels the myth that Luis Suarez made Brendan Rodgers look like a good manager because now he's got Jamie Vardy and he's on course to getting 30 goals again this season. Definitely. What Brendan, a manager. Brendan Rodgers has definitely involved himself as a top, top manager. And, you know, people talking about the Arsenal job, I'm going to throw it into the ring that when Pep leaves, he might be, you know, one of the contenders for that one. And Brendan, mm. he 
sees the strengths in his team he picks out his key striker and says you're going to be my focal point and I'm going to build the whole system to suit you and that's why his strikers always tend to score 20 to 30 league goals all right so moving on now um Norwich hosted Sheffield United at Carrow Road um, what we've you know we've seen in in recent weeks, and, and to be fair, since the start of the season, Sheffield have been particularly strong away from home um, and home for that matter. To be fair, um, but they managed to take away all three points, uh, goals uh, from uh, Baldock and Stevens. Um, what are your thoughts on the game, Dej? Um, I thought it was a game where Sheffield United, um, you know, their season might have imploded in a way because you know. At, they were at home midweek against Newcastle and they ended up losing and there was a performance where you think hmm are the wheels starting to fall off and this was a perfect game for them to you know get back on the horse and beaten away from home and the game went in similar fashion as you mentioned you know Tete got on the score sheet scoring the first goal but again we've spoken about their goal contributions mm-hmm. Lise Mousse he's been someone that stepped up to the plate in recent weeks but again contributions from all over the pitch mm. you saw both of their win backs score goals and you know as I'm saying Norwich I think they're the team that are you know going for sure mm. we've spoken about Watford but I think Norwich are even mo- much more certainties mm. because of their style of football you know Daniel Farker doesn't compromise on his style of football he mm. wants to play and I think more often than not it's going to play into the opposition hands who will put them to the sword and end up beating them so yeah mm. I wasn't surprised fair play uh, moving on to uh, the game between Newcastle and Southampton, which was down at St. James's Park. Uh, Newcastle took all three points. Um, John Joe Shelby popped up with another goal um, and Federico Fernandez too. Um, Danny Ings got a consolation. Of course, he's been in great goal-scoring form uh, of, of late, but just couldn't do enough to uh, yeah. take uh, mm-hmm. something from the game for his, for his team. Yeah, this game culminated exactly how I thought it would. I predicted a 2-1 Newcastle win and they got the win. Um you know, people were quick to write off Steve Bruce when he was employed by Newcastle saying that he's a dinosaur. You know, we need to weed these kind of managers out of the game. And I said, you know what? Steve Bruce is not a bad manager. At Sunderland, he done a decent job. At Hull, he done a decent job. He needs a chance at Newcastle. I know there was fan outrage because they, were, you know, loved Rafa Benitez and it was already on the back foot. But if Steve Bruce gets time to implement his style of play, this Newcastle team will be a stable Premier League club. And for me, I see them finishing in mid-table. Just to talk about Southampton, their purple patch has come to an end, but this was always going to be a difficult game for them. Um, Danny Ings, great to see him continuing his goal-scoring form after he's been curtailed by injuries for several years. That's his eighth Premier League of the season. Um, I think both of these teams will be fine, but it's another great win for Newcastle. Also, I just want to shout out Maximin for breaking his goal drought in the week. So well done to him. Did you see his uh, goal celebration? I did, yes. And people, he, he basically, he did two goal celebrations in one and he's told fans to try and work out where he got them from. And it's uh, just created so much talk on social media because people are trying to work he out. Yeah. He's, he's very engaging. Very yeah. engaging. Yeah. Yeah, he's just I got one, I couldn't player. get the other one. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't get neither great, of them. Great guy. I, like, I, like, I got a lot of time for him. All right, and, and, and to um, move on to uh, the game between Brighton and, and Wolves at the Amex, uh, which ended in a 2-2 draw. Uh, goals uh, from Morpé and uh, Proper from from Brighton and Diego Jota with a brace. Good play. Um, Jimenez didn't get on a score sheet but got the assist uh, for uh, Jota's first goal. 
Um, what are your thoughts on the game, Vishali? Yeah, an entertaining game. All mm. four goals in the first half. So, you know, what, what an entertaining mm. Super Sunday game mm, that was. Mm, mm. Um, yeah, Wolves are doing really well. They, I think they're sixth in the table now. Mm. They could have moved above Manchester United if they had won, but I don't think they're going to be too worried. I mean, they were actually 2-1 down before mm. Diego Jota's goal actually, you know, um, help them walk away with, with a point yep. um, but I think they're unbeaten now in 11 Premier League games so mm. they're, they're doing well they're yeah, doing as well yeah. as I think a lot of people would have expected mm. they're six right now um, that's basically I think around about where they want to be I'm sure they'd love to break into the top six uh, maybe go a bit higher but I think so far they're, they're doing a great job Brighton off the back of beating Arsenal obviously I'm sure they would have loved it if mm. they could have walked away uh, with a win from that game but um, yeah considering you know two, two it's not a bad bad result for them mm. they're mid-table um, so I think all round both teams I think will be quite pleased with, with the end result yeah 100% cool so before we wrap things up of course we can't leave you guys without sharing our favourite segment of the pod which is prospect of the week so for you who aren't familiar with what this segment is it is essentially not a good thing I repeat it's not a good thing Prospect of the week is a, a figure within football so it can be a player or a manager or a coach uh, whomsoever in the game who's had an absolute clangor this weekend. So if it's a player, <laughs> it's someone who's made a rash challenge, someone who's you know been making some baggy uh, 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 passes, t- baggy touches, uh, overhit passes and crosses rather. Um, just uh, who's had an absolute mare of a weekend essentially. Um, so we're going to share these uh, around the table. I want to hear from you guys who your prospect of the week is. Um, it was the biggest game of the weekend. Um, I predicted an easy home win. It was a derby. It was the Manchester derby. Pep Guardiola, you got your tactics wrong, fella. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) how many chances are you going to give David Silva to play poorly before you drop him and give Phil Foden a chance? And you talk about Foden being this extreme talent, this superb talent. He's going to be, you know, the next best thing. He's the best player that you've ever worked with. So why are you not playing him? Why are we seeing the same problems rear their ugly head? You had 110 million worth of fullbacks on the bench. What are you thinking? Benjamin Mendy, vacant on the bench. Cancelo, bought in for 64 million, vacant on the bench. So Pep Guardiola, if you're listening, you're my prospect of the week. (laughs) (laughs) So mine's going to come from Italy this week. I mean, there was a big game. You called it yesterday. I said, uh, you boys were like, yeah. nah, yeah, I don't see that. So, what happened Friday? We saw, you know, the game between Inter and Roma, which culminated in the draw. Draw. Mm. draw. So, you know, Inter missed the opportunity to, you know, further extend their lead. So, yesterday we saw a game between Lazio and Juventus. And as you boys called, you thought <laughs> Juventus were going to win handedly. But Lazio had different ideas. <laughs> we saw them. We saw Juventus take a lead through, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo, as you might expect. But later on in the game, Quadrado lost his discipline and was sent off. And Lazio ended up winning the game 3-1, which spurned, you know, Juventus's opportunity to go back on top of the you know, mm. Italian league. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Maurizio Sarri has been a manager that has been lauded in some quarters, but he's had a bit of a mare since he's gone back to Italy. I the team's it. been, you know, a bit inconsistent and there's been accusations that they're more of an individual-based team rather than a collective. And he got it horribly wrong <laughs> yesterday. Mm. So Maurizio Sarri, if you're listening, <laughs> you're my prospect of the week. <laughs> <laughs> 
Michelle? And I'm gonna cop out, and I'm not gonna choose anyone. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna highlight bad front pages because I'm yeah, sure, yeah, that's I'm a sure, one. That can that's be a good one. I'm sure we've all seen yeah. in Italy the front page yeah. before mm-hmm. that game between Roma and Inter. Yeah, mm-hmm. terrible. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer said it was the worst front page he's ever seen. Worst, worst headline anyway. Mm-hmm. I think it was shambolic. Mm-hmm. I could not believe my eyes. Um, so I'm calling that out. Yeah, yeah. The, the sport. Well. If you're listening, you you're the prospect of the week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, great way yeah, to end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a great way to end Quality. it. Vishali, um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. pleasure. Thanks, guys. Thank Thanks, you very guys. much. Thank you very much. We really, really appreciate it, man. It's, it's been great. It's amazing. Um, the time just flown by. Mm. Honestly, um, we got to do this again sometime. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I'll be back on soon. Hundred percent. We're very fond of her on this platform. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. So listeners we hope you have enjoyed this as much as we have um thank you for listening up until this point uh, we're going to sign out here but we just want to remind you guys to help us to continue to grow the platform by sharing the content for uh, amongst your family your friends and your work colleagues um we don't discriminate by platform we are across spotify soundcloud and apple Podcasts. and if you are listening to us on apple Podcasts make sure you leave a five-star review. It goes a long way to helping us build the profile of the platform to help us to do that. If you have any views uh, on any of the content that was covered in the episode, if you agree or disagree, uh, regardless, we want to hear from you. And if you are going to tweet us, make sure you use the hashtag TBGpod. We want to hear from your, we want to hear your opinions. Do you agree or disagree with the the prospects of the week and some of the takes on the games that we um, dissected and analysed? Before we sign out, we're going to go around the table and really quickly plug our individual uh, platforms. Before I do that, I haven't, I haven't plugged our uh, podcast handle, which is at podcast underscore TBG. If you're not following it, make sure you do follow it so you can keep up to speed with everything that we're going to be releasing. So, um, I'm LFC Nina and join me in celebrating the Liverpool title parade. I'm going to be, you know, putting out weekly tweets and humour <laughs> celebrating the inaugural first Premier League trophy. I'm Dej underscore TBG. Um, when we went to the Blacklist Awards, we managed to get a few pictures of the Premier League trophy. So join us as we start posting that Premier League and start celebrating because it's about to be dirty. <laughs> Um, I'm at Budge Laguna. I haven't got anything to add because my team aren't particularly uh, putting a Have smile Have you changed your handle yet? You said you were going to change no, yeah, it. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the process of doing Shocking that. Shocking, Budge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, in, I'm up for a rebrand, maybe a change of DP and um, and, and, and name as well. 100%. Rishali? And I'm at Vey Bardwaj, if you can spell that. <laughs> <laughs> then, yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we're going to put that in the tweet anyway, so everyone will, will be able to see. Um, looking over at Dot Dot. All good. All good. All good. Five stars. Five stars. Brilliant stuff. Guys, until the next episode, over and out. Peace. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for.
Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas. Visit cox.com slash internet for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.